Welcome back to the Everyday Endurance Podcast, a podcast for everyday people who want to do extraordinary things really slowly and still make it to work on Monday. I'm Simon Perrodin, and I'm here with my brother, Luke Perrodin. On this show, we talk about training for and competing in endurance events, balancing family life and making it to work on Monday. Well, Luke, welcome to the podcast. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about working towards a goal, as is the title of this episode. And it's a good title because both you and I are working towards our goals. They're important to us. They may not be the Olympics or anywhere near that, but you know, hopefully those listening to this are similar to us in the fact that you've got goals that are important to you in endurance sports. And we're going to talk about goal setting and how you conceptualize your goal race and then all the little goals in between and the process of setting a goal and getting there. So I think it's going to be a bit of fun. The second episode. Second Look, we've episode. got a pod, we've got a real podcast going. There's more than one episode. That's Every right. Podcast. Well, I've just set a goal. Um, when a, a, on a, a, a group of athletes that I'm, you know, trained with, time to time on a, a Facebook messenger, you know, organized through the, the, that forum. What's one way to do it? Um, someone sent through and said that this race has just opened up. So I signed up to it. That, that's one way to set a goal. Not much thought went into it. I'm not quite sure how the next three months pans out as well to find the time. This is but the phrase and a challenge. The Fraser Day Challenge, yes. Ah, I thought you were talking about something else. So this is we talked about this on the first episode. So that's your big yearly grand final, the big race, isn't it? Yeah, primarily a lot of the um, there's for a few reasons. A lot of the um, multi-sport races and other things, a lot of races around the world really haven't kicked back into full force since COVID. Um, I would do more. I've done um, multi-sport and adventure races, also. Um, there's not that many of them around at the moment in, in this part of the world. So maybe that's a, um, there's a few reasons for that, but setting that goal, that's one way to set a goal is, uh, and it's an often people do this. So they say, I want to run a marathon and then they get there and they see that marathon, Gold Coast marathon, Sydney marathon, Boston marathon, even more lofty goal there. Um, they sign up for that event and I've had this in my life as, you know, when I was not as fit. Yeah, I, I believe you were running a marathon in Melbourne many, many years ago. I don't know if you remember this. And I signed up for the 5K. So we finished at the same time. You'd smashed no, was, out a marathon. It was a 10. I remember it. It was the, the 10. 2010. Can you remember Melbourne, what it was called? The Coffee Club. The 10K. Coffee Club 10. I <laughs> got I was quite a little bit overweight at the time. And I had, I actually trained to do 10 Ks back then. That was got to be at least a decade ago. Uh, 10 K now, you know, for, for people who run several times a week is a, you know, pretty standard training run, isn't it? But trained up to do my 10 Ks and I was very proud of it. So you, the point of that is that your goal uh, can be very much based on, you know, your level you're at. Um, and there's some, you know, and, and where you are. And, and that's there. completely acceptable and a good thing. It's, it's you should, something that you should just accept. You should accept your current circumstances and be happy with them because you can't change it. They're a product of the past and he, here you are 
you're going to do this. And if you do a good performance in that coffee club 10K, this city 10K that's attached to this marathon, then what's next? That's a step to the next thing. Yeah. So it's a good thing. What happens if you set that goal and uh, things come up in the way? So you get that week where you can't train or, or you'd find, have you ever found that goal hasn't been enough to drive you to do the training? Yeah. When don't they, when, when doesn't something come up? When doesn't the method of saying, right, I've gone and signed up to it. Have you ever had a time when that hasn't been enough to get you motivated to do the right amount of work? Mm, that's, that's a really good question. Yes, that happens to me. And I try to keep it, um, keep it secret. And I'm sure other people have this as well. So you've got this motivation, a goal race, perhaps you've done it before and it's a yearly thing. You know, well, I don't want to miss this year. Yeah, I'll enter, fine. Or maybe it's really exciting. I'm going to do this. I think I can do this. You enter this race or maybe you have to qualify for it and that's coming up. And then that's got to be exciting as a part of your behavior change process of cycle, you know, pre-contemplation, contemplation, all the way to action. You've taken action, you've entered this race, and then you're on the way to, there's lots of micro goals and stages that have to happen on the way to get there. And the motivation changes. And so is it, sometimes is it not enough? I pulled out of a race. It was a Trails Plus run a few years ago with, um, Brett Saxon and the crew. It was the Yu Yangs, actually. It's the one that's coming up this weekend. I think it was the 42K, the marathon. I got halfway through this one and I was very flat from, you know, heavy work. So I'd been thinking, thinking and working really hard and very tired because the brain uses so much of your energy, even at rest. And it uses more of that energy when you're thinking and you're stressed and and all my energy had gone into work and I got to this, got to the starting line. I started and I got halfway through this event and it was a, sort of a cloverleaf shape. So you could multiple times you'll pass through the start finish. And I just stopped and just went home. I, ch I checked out, never do that. Never leave the course and go home without telling the race organizers where you are. You can cause all sorts of problems. But and I, I went back and gave my number in and, clapped a few people over the line and went home. That was it. Flat as a tack. I think you've got to know yourself and you've got to know when it's time to push, when it's time to pull out. That's only, that's only happened to me once. Have you ever done that? I've signed up to, I've signed up to things and life got in the way and I've signed up to things mm. that, you know, I probably, you know, expecting uh, to get more time for them I, I, I we were you and i were going to do a running race the bogong to langford which is half of the bogong to hotham and then on that week that it was i was due to fly over it was my partner my wife had suspected appendic appendicitis or something and kids were sick and i said you know it's just not appropriate um my wife said you know go go do your thing and i said no I said, i'm not i'm not doing that it's just a running race um, that's a, a real world example. That's just a circumstance. That might, guess, happens to everyone. Life gets in the way of things and you, something that you enter, you've got a lot of motivation. You've got enough motivation to pay the money and to set that time aside to do it. And then, yeah, that, that's, that's a good decision. You don't want to go and just say, be super focused on doing this to the point that you, your family needs you and I've got to go anyway. I, I entered this race, be prepared to let that go and say, yep. 
next time, next year. I've had a f- quite a few events where I've been unwell and I've decided not to go and very happy with the decision. Never you know, train when you've got a virus. It's a terrible idea. Never, never race as well. Always respect your body. I guess there's a, I've read that there's a moment that of, you know, uh, neurochemistry or something. I'm not sure of the science. You might know more, but, you know, it's the effect of um, why do so many people sign up to a gym? And, mm. you know, why do, the, the buying of the running gear, the signing up to the gym is not always the motivator people think to get them to keep going to the gym. Um, do you think endurance events are the same? Mm. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know why. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts when people sign up for an endurance event. Perhaps do you, perhaps they're a bit more scary because, you know, you, you, you've committed to go do this thing and you know you have to drag yourself across that line. Well, there is that, isn't there? There's the carrot and the stick and there's the motivation and whatever positive emotion and um, and thought processes led you to enter and, you know, your goals and everything. And there is the stick as well. Because if you go unprepared into a, an endurance event, of, it's in the same way you can go unprepared into a, a football match and get injured and smashed as well. But it's just very obviously going to be a bad day for you if you haven't trained enough. You know exactly what's coming. And that's definitely got me out on training runs, thinking about that. I like to think it's positively motivated, but you think, oh, come on. Definitely. And uh, well, mm. an, another side to that is uh, I've said to um, friends who I train with and some of the work with on runs and times like part of like what got me into endurance sports, some of that came from a pretty negative dark place. And I don't mean, I just mean, you know, the anxiety and stress that gets people up, you know, uh, wakes you up early. Um, at, at the very beginning of my journey to ha- having fun, being a a fun running in endurance person. Um, yeah, there was a little bit of that. Like there was a lot of stress in my life and I was getting up early and I said, well, uh, I've woken up. I can't get back to sleep. I'm going to go out for a run. Um, and I don't, in discussion of that with training partners and friends, I actually sort of said, I, I don't see a problem with that. Everybody gets stressed. I don't, you know, if it's coming from a DA or a really positive place, um, there's a lot of in our Instagram social media culture there's a lot of um things it, it i i believe it paints a perception for people that that your life perhaps will always be that other people's lives perhaps are all sunshine and roses um and that you should always do what you love and these type of messages all, all coming from a positive place um but if you're getting your messaging from the world in there from instagram uh it can it can lead people to get the wrong impression about some of the hard stuff that goes on in their life that perhaps it shouldn't be happening to them or, and, and realistically uh, where exercise comes in is, is one of the stress coping mechanisms for that stuff. Um, you know, in terms of, I guess, setting a goal and, and doing those things, you will, you, you sign up for something, you go through a training program, you, I can't think of any time when I've ever done that from that coffee club five, 10 K <laughs> when I was overweight and I staggered around and um, to, to when I, you know, maybe got to a peak fitness at some stage in the past. Um, I can't think of a time when that training block resulted in negativity, even if, even if it, you know, came from that 
at times from, you know, a negative place or a really positive place. I'm really excited to do this thing. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to do it with my brother. I'm going to watch him cramp up on a kayak. You know, <laughs> that sort of, um, so you, you make you, a really good point because people will, um, will have this highly filtered and motivation-based um, sort of picture of themselves that they put out there on, on social media and then – you, you know, if you're not, if you don't come from a place of motivation, if you're coming from a more a place of this is part of my routine or I'm almost doing this because I can't sleep, for example, it's, that's not necessarily going to be the type of thing you might put on social media as well. But how many people listening to this will have been in that same position? Knowledge Every- worker, perhaps, or you're running your own business for whatever reason, you've got normal stress. You make a really good point that it's pretty normal some stage in your life to wake up 4am, can't get back to sleep, especially in middle age when this stuff starts happening to you. And why not go out there and train? I don't see that as a negative um, origin for some training. And then what have you got at the end? You've got two hours of training. You're going to sleep better the next night. Um, So you've just taken something that's negative and just flipped it on its head, made it positive. Yeah. Why not? Look, I've never had um, depression, luckily for me, but you've done some, uh, research in the past into uh, mental health and exercise. Would that be, would I yep. be accurate in that? No, oh, 12 or so years ago, and there's been lots of papers published since then, but Susanna and I, Susanna is my wife, um, and she's a physiotherapist as well, and we published a, a systematic review looking at exercise interventions for clinical depression. And there's been a number of reviews like this and clinical guidelines, and unsurprisingly, they show quite good effect sizes so a quite strong effect of aerobic or resistance training um, exercise for the symptoms of depression. Obviously, it's not something that it's, it's a depression is a, a mental health disorder that's be, that you should seek medical help for, and you should see you know your medical um, practitioner. And it's, it's, there's obviously more to it than just training and exercise. But um, yeah, I take your endurance, point. Endurance yeah. sports have a play a massive part for a lot of people in maintenance of their mood mood disorders and how much better do you feel after a after most runs have you ever gone out for a run with your mood being lower and and it's made your mood worse have you ever come back from a a training session of kayak or run or a cycle or mountain bike or skiing or whatever it is and you've been two or three hours out there um have you ever felt worse no never I, i have gone for runs and realized halfway through that i've brought the world along with me I'm not sure if you've mm. ever shared that experience. I, I have, think. yeah. And um, rumination. And during, rumination. You've got plenty of time for rumination during a, a long um, zone two sort of effort. And um, yeah. and um, I can't tell you whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because I can't. I do know that in the modern world, I have a phone which has social media. It has work emails, personal emails. It has text messages. It has the ability to call, the ability to set off alarms at me to tell me to do things. I can mm. tell you, you know, and then in your life uh, at work, people can come up to you to ask a question and then your kids might ask a question when you get home. So um, a, a bit of time in a, in a meditative sense out somewhere in the open, um, even if a bit of rumination goes on, it's still, I still do feel better after that run. Um, 
when there's you're- a difference between rumination and, and contemplation as well. I mean, the last since COVID, and I think this is a story that almost anyone who's been through the last couple of years as an adult will um, this will resonate with. Everything has been, especially with kids and working, everything's been just a little bit less certain and a little bit harder to do. And it's been harder to relax as well. And one of the things I've really, I've got one of the mindfulness apps is the Sam Harris app. And I use it, I do a mindfulness meditation a couple of times every day. And I actually got into it for, it's almost what you were saying before about the negative reasons for getting into the endurance training. Like a lot of people, I discovered that, um, looking for a cure for racing mind, the monkey mind, you know, churning thoughts. And it was actually a revelation. I'm sure a lot of people have gone through this to realize that thoughts aren't actually something that you're creating this self inside your head, this little man inside the refrigerator who turns the lights on every time you open the fridge door. They are simply um, appearances. They appear inside your consciousness. And this, this all comes from Sam Harris app and it's all, there's plenty of equivalents that you can get and, and use. And I'll use the mindfulness meditations and, and the meditations that he does to recognize that thoughts are appearing and look at them, observe them, and then you can let them go or you can contemplate them. Sometimes on a long run, if I've done that first, I'll go out there and you'll have thoughts that will appear. And then it's almost like thoughts are appearing in the sky, like clouds, and you can look at them and go, okay, that's a thought. And you can actually, ident rather than being lost in thought and identified with thought, and that's where that cycle of rumination that can be really painful comes from, simply just observing a thought for what it is. And oftentimes it just passes. It's amazing. I never, as a, an intellectual person, lost in the books, lost in thoughts, who had naturally, I was lucky to have a naturally high mood and didn't have to worry about mood disorders, depression. Then when your mood drops and you get cycles of rumination and worry and fear and things, which are very, um, Normal. Is, um, very normal during COVID, during a, a pandemic and other uncertainties, right? Very normal response to that. But just being able to sit back and recognize that, that was very powerful. And I think that's a, you know, if, if you do need help with anything, then of course see somebody. But and this is not definitely not a recommendation of any sort, it's just a personal experience. But then, then to go on a long run after having discovered meditation and mindfulness thoughts come up you can simply just observe them and even contemplate them look at them and spend some time on an issue or even sleeping on an issue and then going for a run you come back and you feel like you've solved some problems whereas when you're not running or not riding or not doing anything and you're not meditating you, you can get in these circles this circular pattern of thought really yeah, interesting definitely. absolutely i um that's that's very interesting and um i, I liked that the um the person inside your head was opening and closing a fridge. I thought that was quite fitting. Oh yeah, it opens the garage door for you as well. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps we need to um, schedule another podcast to, dis to discuss your nutrition strategies oh. then in, in that case. What's in this fridge? I would like it if you head. stopped opening the fridge. And you can just open it three times a day. Uh, I that's believe okay. that's strategy one is uh, get yeah. your head out of the fridge, <laughs> particularly with all the working from home and things that have been going on. That's um, yeah, That's yeah. been a challenge for everyone. So as you are, uh, I, I guess as, as you 
as the years pass, as the endurance events tick by, things do change. Um, you, endurance is fantastic because, I mean, uh, in some of these races, I'm sure you're familiar with the people who are 10 years older who are still out there mixing it at the top. There's, they're inspirational people. And that's what's great about one the great thing about endurance is that that endurance does in the human species appear to stick around pretty well, like strength can fade, things like that. But if you're comparing the Luke of uh, 2022 with the Luke of, you know, uh, five years ago, um, that, that can sometimes be a negative thing for you being motivated towards that goal. Cause you, you know, you might not be as strong. You might not have as much time as one year when you did find all that and hit your peak. Um, do you have any strategies when you're doing that? If you get into that mindset where you, you're getting all, all a bit negative on, has that ever happened to you? This has been a topic on two of our favorite podcasts, Endurance Planet with Tawny and Lucho. They've talked about this and the re, setting their goals and expectations of being an old athlete, comparing it to their peaks. And also um, Trail Runner Nation, is that one of our favorite podcasts, one of the oldest endurance podcasts out there. It's been going forever and they've talked about this as well as they've changed their expectations and their goals. I don't, I don't have a specific strategy. I'm definitely mindful or aware of this, um, of the need to change your expectations. Sort of limited by what you can do. I mean, you can't really, if you've got time, most people, as they get um, towards middle age, they get with each advancing decade, for example, they get more life responsibility. And whether, wherever that comes from, whether it comes from family or business or becoming, getting further up a hierarchy of position and they get less spare time. So often that the goals, just take care of themselves. If you think about a goal or that smart goal format, it's a specific, first of all. So often the goal is specific. I'm training for an event. It was measurable and accurate, or it could be attractive. And, um, and then R, realistic, and then T, timely. If you sort of think about your goal through that format, it's hard to make a goal that's unrealistic in a way because you just can't do it. I, I can't train for an Ironman at the moment. How would I train? How, how many hours a week do you need to train for? That's a good question. That'd be one for Endurance Planet. And they talk about that stuff at length. What's the minimum Ironman definitely of time you could definitely train seem, for? A full-length Ironman definitely seems to be the one that uh, produces a number of divorces and takes a lot of time, doesn't it? If it's just perhaps it's the multiple discipline um, yeah, part of that. Obviously, there's no upper limit to how many hours apart from how many hours in the week there are but and there's a lot of overtraining as well and then there's 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 a more efficient way of training but if you had a good training program we're still talking many many hours a week of training like you so you're limited to what you can do if you have a handful of good hours per week you choose one sport that's what i'm doing at the moment doing the trail running i really like getting onto a trail and just moving and in the new area we've moved to we've got lots of trails and beach and sand and different surfaces and there's lots of hills as well it's yeah. been my favorite thing for many years now just heading out and doing trail running i've got my bike and it sits there getting dusty i feel bad but i just like going for a run and i don't own a kayak even though we're right next to the water and i could own one and you've got about four um 
at least. You've got a big um, collection there. So Yeah, they're, they're the sort of thing that you do collect kayaks. They're a bit like bikes. They kind of, you, you got to have one for each season and surfboards and kayaks and things. So I personally, in terms of the, um, in terms of, I guess the goal, you know, the, the motivation and goal setting across your lifespan uh, question, I, I think it's probably easier for those of us who are never, you know, the top athletes. Um, That's I, true. I, I imagine this is something that probably people who are podium, in, you know, in their twenties, mm. frequently and you know, or sponsored or whatever, you know, the actual the peak athletes. Imagine this is probably a bigger deal for them. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I mean, I, who cares for us? I mean, really, it's the stakes aren't very high. Yeah, at that time in in my life and your life, we had other goals and to do with uh, let's you know academic success and career and other things like that, and uh, mountain climbing and things that were going on. That so so I guess so that's probably a topic for people like you and I that we don't have to wrestle with as much do you run with your garmin i always yeah i sleep with it on as well that's another conversation to have you know having um too much information too but much information it's a bit like a smartphone you've got anything and everything right there it can be incredibly distracting it can be a weapon of mass distraction and ruin your life and it can be the first thing you look at in the morning or it can be just this amazing thing that you can have in your pocket that you can refer to if you're out doing endurance training, it's a map, it's communication, it's a personal help beacon, uh, messaging service, it's a way of putting your work uh, onto the side and maybe convenience of just addressing some work so you don't have to go home. Amazing. Or it can be this distracting, beeping, um, invasive device. It's all completely how you interact with it. It's interesting. It it's the same with the watch, isn't it? It can take you away from the moment. I guess is mm. I, will, I will boil down what you're saying to that. You've got the moment you're out there in the sun, it's your lunchtime run and you're away from the desk or wherever you work and you, you're going along. And the next thing you know, you're looking at your average pace and your heart rate and your splits and looking and wondering about that time. I know so, what you mean. I used to do that a lot more. Um, when I started, I did a lot more math. So the maximum aerobic function training over the last few years and and I, all I really looked at was I just set an alarm for maximum heart rate which was 180 minus age and whatever it was for me for a few years there 140 and now it's less than that so just and it would just beep when I was going above that one if you're in a really hilly area that's going to lead to a lot of walking as well but if you accept that at the beginning what I was doing initially was doing a lot of checking of the watch and keep you kept looking at it I found that distracting and the alarm was helpful. So if the heart rate rate went above your maximum level, it would beep and you just slow down. And pace was, yeah, when they first came out, I was obsessed with it. Like a lot of people, I'd, you know, try to continue to look at it and trying to hold a pace. Whereas now I'll try to keep it within a um, more a range rather than at a certain pace as well. It depends, again, how hard you're going, what you're doing. If you're doing a long, slow um, Sunday run or something, then you don't need to be checking a watch the whole time. But if you're going at the limit, it can be something that you're checking more often. What about you when you go between sports? Which, uh, obviously, you got paddling, riding, swimming maybe if you fall in, but paddling, riding, running to train for? 
Um, That's right. Which one do you use the the data for the most, and which one do you find is more intuitive? I'm also a fan of the, um, I suppose, the low heart rate training type thing. I in terms of um, physical, like ligament and and soft tissue injury prevention, I found that that building up over time. Um, I, I don't. I can't tell you the science of the um, mitochondria and that sort of stuff. It's just not my my background, but um. I have found through trial and error that your um, interval-based programs, too much of that sort of stuff, I've done that, joined in on friends who are doing those. And that's where I get into the, like doing like let's say four or five of those, you know, getting them too many close together. I find that that is where I start to delve into injury category. And it could just be because if you join in on someone who's doing a running, if you're doing like a triathlon or a multi-sport adventure racing, these type of things where you train for multiple disciplines, you might go out with the kayaking group on a Wednesday and you might, you know, if you're lucky to have this area where these groups are, you might go out with a running group on a Friday. I've got one of those and those people might not be training and all those other disciplines. So your training volume can be quite a bit higher. So when the training volume gets higher like that, those, um, those work well. I, I do probably when I'm kayaking, look at the watch too much. Not sure why. <laughs> I don't know. Just trying to tick away the kilometers sometimes. Um, probably a change of scene can help with that, I've found. Like if you're looking at watch and getting a bit too obsessed by it, it might be time to stop doing that old familiar loop. You know, get mm. out and see, um, get out, find a bit of a new nature trail or even running around sometimes, you know, there's a big local kind of, park area every city have them has them you know running through that kind of park run space if you don't normally do that if you're normally on the trails solely and you go and do the park run course you know not that doesn't have to be during park run just out for a jog so you'll see sort of the more flat you know cruising along type course or if you do before you do is go and run park run then and you're looking at your watch every five seconds. That's that would be my tip. That's where I've found to get it to get away from that. I like having the watch on though. I know that I've heard the theories about not having them in terms of you know, you've set your goal and you you need to incrementally get up to it. And um, but for me I like I not having been an endurance athlete for all my life and coming in late in it, I find some of the statistics to give positive reassurance when you're moving towards it. So I can see, and I know that there, there's a lot of flaws in those statistics on your Stravas and things that they put there. So you take it with a grain of salt, but it is nice to see progression when you know you're moving towards it. You know, so you see, okay, my relative effort has increased by this many points every week for the last like six weeks. There it is. So I, I know I'm not as fit as I want to be, but I can see I'm getting fitter. Well, neither of us are coached. We're just, we're not at that level to be coached. Most people aren't. I know some people who've got a coach, but they tend to be the more serious amateur and you can get online coaching. You can obviously get a program and follow it along, but I'm talking about an individual coach, be it online or face-to-face. So you've got, you, you need to base your, you know, you're training on something. We talked last time about being intuitive versus being more rigid, but having some sort of an idea of your 
monitoring your stress level across time. And so you're thinking not only of you're increasing your training load quickly, which is a recipe for disaster a lot of the time, if you're not, unless you have a good foundation, increasing your intensity and your, and your efforts quickly can lead to injuries, but you can also just monitor your general stress. The watch, I, I like the sleep. I don't know. I have no idea how accurate um, and how filtered and algorithmic all the data that comes in from this, but it seems to me that I've got a fairly good uh, idea of when I've gone to bed and when I've woken up and how good the sleep was and what I'm seeing there on the data from the watch lines up with that pretty well. It's interesting when you look at the deep sleep and the REM sleep where you have, they have different functions for recovery and those nights when you feel like you've had some vivid dreams and you've done a lot of dreaming and you see more REM sleep and later in the evening. So it's just nice to see that sometimes it's negative reinforcement as well. Sometimes you need a kick in the pants and you look at that weekly summary and you'll see there's, there's Tuesday. I had six hours of sleep. I've been averaging over eight, which is really good. That one's low. Ah, that makes sense. And you think about how that next day went and you think about your training or your work and your, your mood or whatever else. And you go, okay. I can, um, I can explain that. I do like monitoring sleep. I don't use diet apps at all or anything at all, my fitness pal or anything like that. I just tend to be more intuitive with that, but keep it, I keep an old school um, pen and paper training log actually. Yeah, right. I know you can just use Strava. What goes it's into something that? About, it's something about writing it down. What, and no, what, goes in, what goes into it? The distance or time or? Yeah, you distance, know? time, pace, not too much. It, I think it's more the ritual of writing it down in the same way of journaling and putting your ideas down. Because that's because that's the ritual of or, yeah, go, leaving go a hand, run. Yeah, leaving a handwritten note for a significant other. Yeah. You know, it's very different from writing them a text, isn't it? It something, is. Something about it. Yeah, that's interesting. Strava's my um, training log because <laughs> yeah, there it is. It's all yeah. integrated. Um, but um, and I've only recently just got graduated to the sort of watch that's been around for a very long time now that does it as soon as you do your run, it goes onto the Strava itself and then populates on there. I don't have much of a, so, use it for the social aspect very much, Strava. Really, realistically, the training log part is why I'm interested in that. But that, that in terms of goal setting, using those platforms there is part of it for me. And at the moment, I have a limit set in the Strava for... Uh, you know, a minimum of 100Ks cycling and two hours of running per week. And obviously there's kayaking and other stuff in there. That's a minimum. So on the busy, busy week, um, as I head towards the end of that week, I've found in other years of training, it's helpful to have that goal where you're saying, um, you know, okay, I've done 10Ks of cycling this week and it's, you know, Wednesday. Um, and there's a, a motivating factor to get you out early in the Thursday morning or something like that. Mm. So and that's that's worked quite well for me. That- so rather than having this rigid training schedule where Tuesday is a 30-kilometre cycle, and what, what if Tuesday doesn't happen? The training What if a kid's happen? sick? Mm. Yep. And then, then suddenly you stop and, oh, it's too much and I've broken my training pattern. No, you, you, can, you can do it differently. But having, setting a minimum... That's, I've actually only ever done that in my head. That's a very good idea. Well, it's good. And then I can click on the app that you get 
and it shows me you've done 78.2 kilometers of this activity mm. and you've and you've got this much to go and I'll and I'll it helps me balance training load and also not to stress about what I'm doing without the need with I haven't haven't had much success previously with structured training plans where you get a plan there and are trying to follow those along I get about four weeks into it for myself. What and happens as soon as you miss a day, it, there's a feeling that you failed the whole thing because it's so structured. You, yeah. r- rather than having setting minimums and setting micro goals each week that you can figure it out during that week and get to the end of it and go, okay, I've done enough. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on your goal. So if you're trying to win a race, then you'll have to yeah. do, do different things and you might not like them on, or not. If you're mm-hmm. trying to finish a race then and you've done it and you've done races and you've gone through training blocks and training cycles and you know about the exercises there's definitely it seems like there's definitely strength on both side i mean one of them is that you save money which is always good in the current climate by you know but obviously there's um very good coaches out there in the world and if you had a an A goal, a life sort of goal of in, in a particular race or event or fastest known time or something, then, um, yeah, for me, I, it would be nice to try coaching and get someone in there, get the professional in and get them because I would imagine that your face-to-face coach, whether it's online or whatever, will be able to – there will be things that you're missing in the intuitive, absolutely, in, oh, yeah. in the intuitive method. Whereas someone else would, you know, if they're helping you and, and look through it with their um, professional, their professional at training people to do that, to achieve their goals, they're going to notice things and they're going to correct you and say, you know, get you onto the flexibility or whatever it is that, that you're lacking in. I think the risk of intuitive training um, is most likely that you train to your strengths. Yeah. So that's a great point. Yeah, that's probably what we would all be guilty of doing. And at the same time, we're talking about a lot of the time with everyday endurance people, let's be honest, that we're talking about just doing something is so much better than the alternative, which might be being sedentary, sitting on the couch. So my dodgy training program for this upcoming Yugang's 50K event, and I'll let you know how that goes, is probably not to be followed by anyone else, not to be recommended in any way, but hey, I'm doing this. And at last, this time last year when things were, uh, we were trying to sell our house and um, the kids were at home, were, so doing school from home. So Melbourne had one of the world's longest lockdowns. It was completely insane if you were living here. And if you're outside of Melbourne, you didn't really have a good feel for how, how that was going. And um, we were stuck in our uh, little world there and it was really hard to train. So completely different one year from now. And that's the goal. That's the goal was to get back to there and be happy and be training and doing that. And everyone else's goal will be completely different and, and by no means professional or going for a win or anything, but to be a participant, to get what isn't a, a goal to be, to not be injured, to make it to the start line, to do your race within the cut time or within the time that you want and to be happy and want to do it again. Aren't they, aren't they good goals? That's a great goal. Oh, great goals. And, and it, on that topic of, on that topic, it reminded me of another risk that I should warn you about if, 
if you wanted to try for a few weeks after your next 50K on the setting a minimum and seeing how that works is that um, if you get to the weekend and yeah. you've had that really busy week and you've set yourself like a 100K minimum, there is the temptation because you want to get that tick, tick that box mm. to go out and do 100Ks. It's the same <laughs> so. thing that gets you doing a lap of the block when you've got nine kilometers or 19 kilometers or maybe 99 yeah. kilometers on your watch or there's only two types of people the person who goes stops the watch and goes inside and the person who does those laps i've never understood how you could leave it at uh with with point one to go how as i suppose it's coming as a lawyer and, and looking at it there you, i have to tick that box i have to yeah finish sometimes off the paperwork sometimes <laughs> i've done it on purpose for the laugh just to for leave laugh. it just to leave it there <laughs> One year, one year, the gal, the Great Ocean Walk, it's a it's hundred kilometer trail run, and my watch was on ninety nine. It is a hundred kilometers, but maybe I cut some corners. <laughs> I didn't cheat. <laughs> maybe I ran the tangents, or maybe the it didn't quite pick up some. There's a, there's a variation. It, in your it was G sitting. GPS, yeah. <laughs> it was sitting on ninety nine, and I didn't. I just stopped that one. <laughs> it can stay there. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's fine. It takes. It takes a brave person to to not have their recording say the race distance. But um, yeah, yeah well, it I, takes I, a braver person to run down the Great Ocean Road in the dark when they're almost broken to yeah. make their watch say one hundred. Yeah, he's strongly motivated to accept imperfection in that case. How about yeah. we say that? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, so as these are some of the things you know in terms of we've talked about how. Um, one version of setting a goal, which is common in endurance for everyday endurance people of, okay, I'm going to do the race. And then it's three months out, it's six months out, whatever it is. And then things in your life start to align around that. And um, that's one of the things that um, attracts us, I think, as amateur athletes back towards this stuff. Like you don't get any kudos, not really, you know, no one really cares that you went out and ran this race. They do, but they don't. <laughs> They're sort of more interested in themselves. But they want to, they're happy that you're happy and also you get amazing support from people you don't even know from yeah. volleys through and family and everything but i it, don't it, i don't, they don't wake in up in the way. night yeah. and say they say oh geez i'm worried about uh simon's phrasing their challenge exactly, oh, gee, exactly. Enough. So, they're just happy if you're happy yeah i don't mean that in a negative way i i meant it's um it's not the same as when uh the grand slam tennis goes onto the TV or something, is it? So you're doing that and you're setting those goals and you start moving towards it and things in your life um, start to align. And I, I suppose that's what the attraction is um, back for us all. You know, we know that we know that life kind of swings on a big pendulum and sometimes you're really busy doing one thing or sometimes you're going really well in one aspect of your life and then it swings back to another one. So I think that's probably for myself and others one of the big things that subconsciously attracts you back to this and you know the alignment and the movement the movement towards positivity and achieving you know something and the journey towards it mm. would be the benefit of that style of goal setting yeah well um, said our yeah. lens that we're looking through this at is one of health and balancing health and performance and the balance is much more towards health and if you look at somebody who's at the um the pointy end of the race and they're talented and they're doing their training is very different from ours and they're winning the thing uh, there's a certain amount of sacrifice 
of health and well, and maybe they need to work harder to balance out and make sure that they're healthy and that would include everything from a periodized training program and and you know and having an off season and and things that we're not necessarily uh, too worried about at the amateur level because those that off season sort of happens naturally anyway in between things and you're not necessarily training as hard as you know, to worry about that at the other on the other side of the coin though I've seen plenty of amateur athletes that don't have any prize money don't have anything at stake apart from their um, desire to be doing it who are overtraining and hurting themselves and, and need to you know and come across injuries and burnout and fatigue and illness and they discover the hard way that they you know you need to balance health and and um, fitness there's a whole episode for us balancing yeah health and fitness. i mean it'd be good to yeah uh, at, at the theme in th- uh, this year as you know from our last discussion podcast number one for me has been about i guess not getting injured <laughs> and because i was training quite hard and doing things and i did something really stupid and got an injury which put me out for weeks and i didn't like that you know i'm fine it's not a long-term thing but you know i was on a trajectory and as a result of my own stupidity i was off it so i decided well for the rest of this sort of training block i'll try not to do that again i can't you can't help falling over on ice tripping over those type of things there's falling off a bike these things happen but that's not what we're talking about is it we're talking about training um, errors training errors yeah too much focus on that goal mm. i guess and Maybe the balance tr- goes to goes too far the other way and it's easy to do easy easy to do to to, to go either way i suppose um and but yeah so neither of us on a training plan um <laughs> hey we're just this is this is an honest forum here yep. number one reason for doing this is a excellent excuse to catch up every fortnight and, and debrief and share our stories and hopefully we've got something to offer for the for the listeners and those who if you want to join us on in this conversation it, it will be people just like us and we can talk about your training have you on but um so what's coming up next episode next episode i wanted to talk to, about your training so we've only just touched on how you're going to train for Fraser a challenge it's actually quite a um quite a big um, event to organize isn't it you've got a you know um, lots of logistics of the actual event um, for those who do multi-sports or paddling cycling running i'm sure you'd be interested maybe you can come on here and contribute and tell us your story your race day story your preparation and compare and contrast it but if you don't do that sort of event this one will be really interesting how do you it's a bit like the iron man triathlon conversation how do you actually balance the different the three different events i'd really like to know about your paddling and cycling are different from running because there's no impact and you can almost it's a bit like cross-country skiing we can have cross-country skiers can have this giant aerobic capacity and they completely load up their um you know their their muscles but it's in a very different way from running yeah so i might really like to know about those sort of sports that require equipment and lots of logistics and you know when the equipment matters and when it doesn't matter and sort of training tips and approaches and 
sort of if, if anyone's entered an event for the first time that involves paddling or cycling and that isn't normally their thing, uh, what, what's your advice for someone? Or maybe you're just in that pre-contemplation phase, you're thinking, oh, maybe I could do that one day. How do you actually get into that sort of event? I've got lots of real questions. These aren't staged just because I'm your brother. I don't really know that much about it and I want to ask these questions. And so training, training, training for the multi-sport triathlon, multi-sport adventure race, etc. I'd love to talk about it. Um, we'll get you fired up for your training and hopefully share some experiences with others. So let's do it. I'd love to talk about that. Look forward to it and um, good luck in your training until we speak next, Luke. Thank you very much. The same to you. Now, what was our catchphrase when we uh, leave this podcast? How amateur. I've got no idea. <laughs> Look, hey, we'll do a few different versions of it and we'll settle on one and that can be the one. So until, until next time, everybody, best of luck with your training and racing. Stay healthy. And what else would you add to that, Simon? That's over and out for us. Over and out. Thanks for listening. See you later, everyone.